This is an ABC podcast. I've always been a storyteller. I'm one of six children and we grew up here in Samoa in the days before the internet. For my brothers and sisters, uh, when the lights all got turned off and you know we were supposed to be going to sleep, I would be the one who would tell stories. I started writing like at a very young age. I think around six. Most of my stories came from like my own experiences growing up. I have been naturally a writer. When I was um, at school, at uni, I used to write poems. However, when I kind of got married, I moved away from that. Have you dreamed of being a published writer? Do you write stories or books or even keep a diary? Storytelling is so ingrained in our Pacific cultures. You'd think the big publishing houses of the world would come to us looking for great adventure stories or romances in a beautiful island setting. But instead, writers from the Pacific Islands struggle to get their stories published. And when they do, it can come at a great cost. I'm Hilda Wayne. Sisters, let's talk about getting published in the Pacific. Imagine all your life you've dreamed of being a writer. Finally, you've put pen to paper and finished that manuscript. What happens next? That's the question most writers have, especially if you're like so many other Pacific Islanders who've never really had exposure or access to publishing companies. The process of turning a manuscript into a book, something you can sell, is slow, complex, and potentially expensive. But it can be a really positive experience if you dive in with your eyes wide open. Carolyn Ivari has been writing ever since she was a little girl in Papua New Guinea. Her teacher's encouragement helped her to forge her path to becoming a published poet and children's author. I had a collection of poems when I was in high school. And we kept a diary or a journal that our language teacher would always review. And after reviewing, like, my poems or stories, she would leave a comment, like, at the end of the poem and say, you've got a good collection of poems. Are you thinking about getting into publishing? But at that time, like, I didn't have a lot of information on, like, what it's like to go into publishing and the process itself. So... I never thought about it until I was in at the university and then I started writing for the Crocodile Prize. And then I was able to connect with a wider community, a wider audience and, and a lot of other Papua New Guineans who were already into publishing. So when I started interacting with people and, and, and just learning from their experiences, it actually felt like I could publish because there were a number of Papua New Guineans who were already um, into publishing. I translated all of my poems into a manuscript and I sent it to him. And because I did most of you know the hard work in terms of editing and revising my poems, it was easy for him to to publish. And you know it really motivated me. So I guess like knowing who 
to reach out to was one of those things that I found really easy. And then being able to ask them questions around like, what can I do? This is what I have. Do you think that this is something that I can publish? And being able to connect with, you know, people who were able to mentor me and encourage me was something that really helped me also. Caroline is self-published. That means she took on the expense of publishing, paying for an editor, layouts, electric uploads, and other expenses related to putting a book out. On the other end, it means Caroline has control over artistic choices and the language she wants to use. The alternative to self-publishing is pitching your manuscript to a traditional publishing house and hoping they will invest in it. But very few traditional publishers seem to want to take on Pacific Island writers. Why is it so hard for Pacific writers to get published? I think the first um, thing is that we don't have like a lot of publishers in country. And most of us who have published some of our work have done that like online. Not a lot of people know how to use the self-publishing tool online. They need to learn how to use it. Not a lot of people like have access to internet or are able to, you know, who have computers or laptops at home where they can use to educate themselves and to be able to use these platforms that are available. Another thing is in order to get into publishing, like you need money to pay a publishing house or publisher to publish your work. And not a lot of people are able to afford that. I mean, there are ways for people to publish. There are like low cost options as well that are available, but this information are not available to a lot of people. A lot of people that I've I've met or come across, they've got manuscripts that are just lying there, but they don't know where to even begin. Another thing is we do it because it's something that, you know, we're passionate about. And, and as long as like I publish a book, I'm satisfied, I'm happy. And for a lot of people, they say that it's not really worth getting into publishing because you don't really make a lot of money. Caroline likes to mentor young writers from Papua New Guinea so that there can be more stories about their culture for people to read. When I was a kid, and unless you're growing up in the village, when we went to school, we learned so much about the outside world and and very little about like ourselves, like as Papua New Guineans. Uh, and I find that in my kids today, like they get confused with like, They read something in a book, but they can't match what they're reading like to actual life. Like one time I was reading a book about like the zoo to my kids. And like when we came across the giraffe, my son kept referring to a giraffe as a dog. But then I had to explain to him, no, this is a giraffe. You find a giraffe in this country, in this part of the world. It's got a long neck. It's got long, long legs. Like I had to explain to my son that this animal is not found here. And and when I had that experience, it made me think about how I was growing up as a kid and how everything that we were learning were like all foreign. So that sort of like got me into um, advocating for more Papua New Guineans to get into writing and capturing like 
some of our cultures and our way of life, like in the books that we write, that could benefit our own children and generations to come because we already know that the Western culture has so much an influence on our heritage. And, and there is fear that eventually we will lose all of our languages, we will lose our traditions, we will lose our cultures. So I believe that books play an important role in preserving information for the next generation and information that that can educate them about these things that we will like eventually lose one day. Would you like to compel or encourage publishers to keep that message in mind when looking at PNG manuscripts? Yes, and 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 another thing that like I as a writer come across is the kind of language that like we as Papua New Guineans use in our writing. Publishers need to understand the diversity like of of PNG. We've got like over 800 languages and we've got our our style of writing and speaking. One of our, our Papua New Guinean writer once said that the way that someone from the Millen Bay province would speak is different from like someone from like they say the highlands. So being able to sort of understand and appreciate the complexity and the diversity of, of our country will help us like also in terms of publishing because the kind of material that we produce may not be the same as writers in other parts of the world. It may not even meet the international standard, but this is who we are. This is our identity. This is how we talk. This is how we speak. And these are things that if we don't capture, we lose it. Our future generations may not be able to understand or even hear someone say in Millen Bay, say that one, how? You don't say like, how are you? You say that one, how? Right. And this is unique and this is who we are. And, you know, if an international publisher review assisted, they will say this is broken English. Yes, it is broken English, but this is who we are. This is how we speak. So being able to appreciate that is something that they need to do as well. Do you want to write local stories for local people or would you like to be able to share PNG and Pacific stories with the world? We can do both, right? But it really depends on who's reading our book. I have colleagues from the international communities. Like every time they come to PNG, they're always asking us, like, where do we go to find books about PNG? Or where do we find books that can educate us about the people, the culture, the language, and all of that? And you've got Papua New Guineans who also have like a knowledge gap, right? We don't, even though we say we know each other, we don't really know each other. Like there's some things about my culture that you may not know, and someone from another province may not know. It's good to have a diverse collection of books and stories that we can share with our own people, but we can also share with like the international community. That's Caroline Ivari, who has written dozens of children's books and a collection of poems called Nanusina, My Words.
You're listening to Sisters Let's Talk on ABC Radio Australia. While Caroline's experience with self-publishing has been positive, it can be expensive, frustrating and ultimately disappointing if your expectations don't match the reality. Costs of self-publishing vary depending on the level of services, such as editing and mentoring, and whether you want to print out copies or simply publish an e-book. Very few writers make an income just selling copies of their book. Lydia Gart self-published a memoir, Survive and Thrive, which details her experience as a survivor of domestic violence. She used an Australian-based company that runs writing workshops and teaches authors to leverage their book to earn money through other work like mentoring and speaking engagements. Lydia says she found it challenging to work within the Western editing and publishing culture. The manuscript was uh, given to this editor. For a long time, I was wondering, is somebody going to come back to me and say, Lydia, I've got your manuscript and I'm working on and and there are areas that I will have to uh, work with you on so that we can both be on the same page. Mm. However, I didn't get that interaction. You had quite a few challenges uh, in this regard. What was your biggest hurdle? What stressed me a lot was the end result of the book. Like, would it read well or would it you know, really cover the story I am aiming to cover? Or would somebody, say, in, in the village, would, would an island lady digging cow cow would read it and understand it? Because I, I tried my best to write it in the way that village women would read it and understand. I really watered down the English. My aim game, game was that everybody reading it will understand where I'm coming from and will understand line by line and they will I want my my story to be their story that's interesting mm-hmm. an editor's job is to tighten and you know to tighten up the writing and the story but from all the authors that I've spoken to the publishing industry is geared towards the white audience how did you find the whole editing process with, with the editor of your book hundred percent what you said hundred percent. So we went back and forth, back, back, back and forth, uh, forth and back and forth. And at one stage, I think I I put it in writing and I said, I think you've got to listen to me. Do as I am asking you to do, because after all, at the end of the day, it is my book. My name is on it. And any ordinary woman out there, because the, this book, I want women reading it. Not so much men or anyone. I want women reading it. This is my story and their story. Lydia invested tens of thousands of dollars into writing the book, including a $19,000 program that she joined when she chose her publisher. But she has learned that the time and work required to earn an income from the book is easier said than done. You, you don't make money out of a book. Yeah, I, I learned now. You can. You can if you have a good team to be out there selling it and advertising it and everything else. I, um, because I have my own little business and I, I've been getting money in, in doing workshops out of the book. I mean, as part of that book, the only thing is that I needed a team to, to do the physical sale and for me to get on with what I do on a daily basis. 
That's Lydia Ga with a buyer beware tale of the cost of self-publishing and finding someone you trust to edit your words. Lani Young is an international best-selling author and was the 2018 Pacific Laureate. She has written several young adult fantasy series, including the Telesar series and the Scarlet Lies series. She grew up in Samoa, and her uncle, Albert Wendt, was one of the most influential writers in Oceania. We, we all know, we acknowledge him as the father of Pacific literature, and I think that, you know, to, it's just been so important to have that, that person pave the way and open so many doors for, for all the rest of us to look at. And I think on a personal level, it was certainly helpful for me to have, you know, this, this man who was the father of Pacific literature and to be at the, the table at Sunday Tornai, you know, and I had to fan the flies from his food. And so, you know, really <laughs> emphasizing to me that he's a regular person, you know, sort of just, just like me. And um, so it, it made becoming an author seem a little bit more possible, a bit more reachable. Ah. All writers love to read, but not all readers are writers. What made you take that step? Mm. Well, I think that I've always been a storyteller. And um, I'm one of six children, and we grew up here in Samoa, very much in the days before the internet. And we didn't even have a television. And so for my brothers and sisters, uh, when the lights all got turned off and, you know, we were supposed to be going to sleep, I would be the one who would tell stories. It started from there, really. So for me, it's been very much like almost like an oral storytelling thing where I'm, and because I would read a lot and then I would take bits and pieces from all the different books and stories I'd read and weave them together and throw in my own my own creative additions and tell my, my younger siblings stories. And weave in legends and bits and pieces of everything else to make them more sort of Samoan and relatable. So in a way, I'm thankful that we didn't have, you know, 25 TV channels and Netflix and the internet <laughs> and phones. Oh, because wow. Because that really helped to nurture my storytelling. That's amazing. You write young adult fiction focusing on the Samoan legends of Telesa. What made you decide on this genre? Yes, so that's what I, my first novel um, is a, uh, was a series for young adult uh, fantasy inspired by legends and mythology of Samoa. And for me very much, that was written for my teenage self. And also because at the time I had teenagers and young ones in my house. And I mean, as you know, there's very little, well, nothing at the time. There was no young adult books for set in the Pacific. And so I thought, you know, this is the story I want to read. Nobody's written it yet, so I'm going to write it. It's a real struggle for any writer to get published. Your first novel in 2011 was rejected. What journey did you have to go through to get published? Yes. So in 2011, I submitted my novel to that more than 30 different publishers and agents uh, New Zealand, Australia, and the USA. And uh, those, there were a couple who actually, you know, wanted to read the whole uh, manuscript, but I was rejected. And they said to me that the story would not be marketable enough, that there wouldn't be, basically, there wouldn't be enough people interested in reading a story from Samoa. And so, I mean, that that was discouraging, but I didn't let that stop me because 
the way I felt was, well, I'm actually not writing it for for those audiences. I'm writing this for all my Pacifica brothers and sisters and and children and and the people I grew up with. And so I didn't let that discourage me. Instead, I, I turned to researching all the different ways that I could get that book published and take it to audiences worldwide. Mm. Publishing also have been the gatekeeper. What influence has e-publishing had on the industry? I think it's it's been amazing, made an amazing difference. And I think it's exciting what it means for writers like us. The digital era means more choice, more power and control in our hands to write whatever we want to. And it gives us the power to publish and distribute our stories. What I've been really excited about is, as on my own journey of publishing, I now have um, 17 books out, and they're available both in digital format as well as in print worldwide. It's been really exciting to be able to connect with other aspiring writers of the Pacific and help them to sort of see some of the other options out there. Because too often, the publishing industry, um, as we know, it's, it's very white. It's more than 85% white and female. And so they are, of course, looking for particular kinds of books and stories that perhaps are not the kinds that we are writing. My focus has always been, we don't need to, to even get in the gate. We can be out here in the wild, making our own journey and reaching all the readers that um, are our people worldwide. How important is it for young Pacific people to see themselves represented in writing? Oh, I think it's essential. Um, I think we've all uh, grown up with the experience. We know what it's like to read books and watch movies and, and TV where we're not there. We're, or if we're not there, we are there, but we are a stereotype and often a negative one. And so we've all had that experience. And I think that it is so powerful. Like when I go into schools and I see young people you know, that their joy at, at reading a book that not only has people that look like them, but perhaps even family structures and habits and cultural customs that are familiar and even the foods, they get so excited. And I think that there's that kind of joy of being able to see yourself um, in the art and the literature that we that we read and consume. There's nothing quite like it. And I'm so grateful to be a part of that. How much of a change is there in getting Pacific women's voices into print? I think it's slow, but it's definitely happening. The good thing has been to see that there are increasingly, uh, slowly, but more women, Pacific women, who are starting to not only take control of their stories and publish them themselves, but also looking at ways to help do that for others. I'm thinking, for example, of Mila's books, which is based out of New Zealand, and that is run by Samoan, young woman, young author, Dalia Malaiulu. And she has been just doing amazing things with publishing not only her own books, but also starting to help publish other Pacific women. Another press, Saufoi Press, which is specializing in um, publishing Pacific poets. And I think, you know, every little bit counts. And the more of our Pacific women, it takes courage, you know. I mean, it's hard enough for us to think that our writing might be good enough to submit somewhere, but to have the courage to say, well, you know what, it is good enough. And I know that because I'm just going to publish it myself and I'm going to market it and distribute it myself. That takes a lot of guts.
Another amazing Pacific uh, woman who also advocates for writers um, in the Pacific is Rebecca from Vanuatu. You worked with Rebecca, and uh, what impact did she have on you personally? I'm so thankful for the VA anthology book, which is how I was able to meet. Well, I haven't met her in real life, but I feel like I know wow. her so well. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> online conversations. She submitted work for, for the VA anthology and, oh, such magnificent writing. And through there, I was able to find out a bit more about her. And now I follow her blog and her website and all the amazing work that she does. And for me, it's just been her, her writing style and her stories are so different from my own as a Samoan woman. And it's been wonderful for me to sort of to start to learn a bit more about Nivanuatu um, culture and Nivanuatu women through her writing. And just to recognize that, you know, we're all really different across the Pacific, but these connections that we can build as we try to lift each other up and, and nurture each other's uh, stories. Yeah, it's such a unifying thing in the face of, of those weaving those differences together. Isn't it amazing to reach into somebody else's culture through their writing as well? Oh, yes, definitely. Um, it's It's been beautiful. I, I, I get to learn so much. And to be able to help take her writing to, to my own readers and, you know, vice versa. And I think that that's something that we're really good at as Pacific women is being able to share and support each other. That's wonderful advice. What advice would you give any young woman listening or might be thinking of putting pen to paper or putting her thoughts into words who want to write a book and who have written a book and want it published? The number one thing I would say is remember that the internet is your friend. Yes, submit your book to publishers or to agents, but don't sit around moping while you wait for them to see how amazing your work is. I really encourage um, our Pacific Writing Sisters to join, write a blog, uh, join an online writer group, work on your craft, write fan fiction, build a following and connect with others who have writing like you because you know, there's strength and fire in numbers. And for even things like forming a collective, publishing an anthology online, publishing short stories for free download, there's many things that you can do even while you're waiting for that magical publisher that you're hoping will, will embrace your work. There's things that you can do to make sure that you take ownership and retain control of your art and your voice. That's the acclaimed someone young adult author, Lani Young. Thanks to all my guests today, Lani, Lydia Gar, and Caroline Ivari. If you have ever dreamed of writing your own story, I hope their words of wisdom will help you guide you on that path. Thank you so much for joining me. Hilda Wayne for Sisters Let's Talk on ABC Radio Australia a weekly show by Pacific Islands Women for Pacific Islands Women, where we get together to talk about the issues that are important to us. If you've missed an episode of the show, catch up on our podcast. In the Pacific, just search for Sisters Let's Talk wherever you get your podcasts. If you're in Australia, you can listen to Sisters Let's Talk on the ABC Listen app. If you've got a topic you'd like me to cover on the show or any feedback, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a message anytime at the ABC Radio Australia Facebook page or email sisters at abc.net.au. That is S-I-S-T-A-S at abc.net.au.
Next time on Sisters Let's Talk, I'll bring you a conversation with the beautiful Vika and Linda Ball. It's wonderful to have lived that and sort of seen it change and evolve, you know, and a lot of people doing amazing things, making beautiful music, a lot of girls, you know, telling their story and getting up and singing it and rapping it and doing all sorts of things. And Yeah, more opportunities too because, you know, of the social media and the way that the industry has changed, you know, there's, they can't be stopped. You know, they don't, they don't go, oh, you know, you need to go and put on a tighter skirt or whatever to get on, you know, to get signed to this label. No, nah, they just do it. It's good. From being raised by the proud Tongan mother in regional Australia to singing for the king of Tonga. That's next time on Sisters Let's Talk. Sisters Let's Talk is presented and produced by me, Hilda Wayne. Our supervising producer is Kim Lester. Executive producer is Inga Stunsna. Sisters Let's Talk is an ABC Radio Australia production. I'm Tasol Nabungimu next time.